Well, church family, today I am excited to kick off a new series called The Gift. We're going to be looking at God's gift of grace towards us. Uh, I've been looking forward to this series for the last few months as I've been preparing for it, but I'm also here to be the bearer of very difficult news. The holidays of 2020 are among us. This week, this week, not next week, this week is Thanksgiving. Gasp. <laughs> Can you believe it? Oh, my goodness. And then in just a few short weeks, it'll be Christmas, and then it'll be the new year, and all of our problems will be solved. <laughs> I, I, don't, yeah, I don't know about you, uh, but gift giving for me, I, I love doing it. I love thinking about uh, people in my life and trying to, to think about good gifts to give them. But it's also like, it, it's also insane, right? Like, have you guys ever had this experience where you've got someone, for whatever reason, you, you're, you're, you're meant to give them a gift. It's, a, it's an occasion, maybe like Christmas or uh, something going on. You just want to express appreciation. And, and then you just, your brain just gets all wrapped up in all of the things, right? All, like, what kind of a gift should I give? How much money should I spend? Well, have they ever given me an expensive gift? I mean, if they gave me a $100 gift last year, I shouldn't give them a $10 gift this year. And then you're crying on the floor in Target. Does this happen to any of you? Uh, gift giving is something that we engage with for a variety of reasons. We have all different types of gifts, right? We have like white elephant gifts. We have gag gifts. We have uh, tokens of our esteem. Uh, we also have varying uh, uh, levels of gift giving, whether it's giving gifts to uh, children or giving gifts to our parents or giving gifts to a lover. We're, we're always trying to navigate this idea of gift giving. And depending on how you grew up, depending on the culture that you are accustomed to or that you've been shaped by gift giving. Also, there's so much nuance to it because if you're exchanging gifts with people of different cultures, there can oftentimes be this concern of like, I don't want to do the wrong thing. Like uh, there are some of us who grew up in homes where uh, if you go to someone's home for dinner, you bring like uh, flowers or uh, like treats or cookies or like a bottle of wine or whatever, and you, you bring a gift. Others of us, Maybe he didn't grow up in that kind of a way, so we just roll into someone's house and we're like, what's up? Now, here's the rub. When you walk into a house and some people bring gifts, but you didn't bring the gift, now what do you do? You're like digging through your trunk looking for something like, hey, a toe jack, hey, hey, you know, hey, thanks for having us over. And it's all, it's all nuanced and, and sometimes frustrating and sometimes it just, it's exasperating because how we think about gifts is dramatically shaped by our upbringing, by the culture or cultures that have formed us. And so when we think about God's gift or gifts towards us, we don't generally see uh, that uh, reality. We don't generally hear those words neutrally. It's that idea of gift giving is often through a lens of how we've been shaped. And here we are now in this Christmas season and we're thinking, well, it'll be Christmas after Thanksgiving. For those of you that are purists, I know, but we put our tree up on November 1st. <clears throat> so... It's Christmas season, and we're in the season of gift giving. And it's good for us to slow down and do a deep dive into what it means for God to give us a good gift. In fact, throughout the scriptures, we see that God refers to this act or series of actions, or even to himself as uh, in gift language. So we're going to look at God's good gift. And, and I believe that in so doing, our lives will be shaped and impacted by it. 
Uh, have you guys ever had a really good gift given to you? I can hear the people online louder than you. Have you guys ever had a good gift? Right? Some of you are sitting next to someone who's given you a good gift. This would be your opportunity to make sure that it's not a long car ride home. Have you guys ever had a, someone given to you a good gift? Okay, great. So uh, for me, Christmas time, and again, this is just, I'm not saying this is the right way, but this is just the way it was for me growing up. Uh, we would open some gifts on Christmas Eve, but then on Christmas morning, we would roll out of bed and there unwrapped would be the Santa gift, right? And the Santa gift was almost always the best gift. And I remember I was, I was, uh, I was the hippest uh, 12th grader in town. <clears throat> you, you guys know this. Oh, 12-year-old. Sorry, hippest 12-year-old in town. Yeah, how old was I? I was 12. What grade is that? Seventh grade. I was the coolest junior higher in school. So, uh, but one of the things that I lacked was one of these. Now, if you grew up in the area I grew up in, you know about this. What's this called? A boom box. Now, here's the deal about boom boxes. I know it's not for everybody, but for me, this was the business. Because you, number one, it kept Duracell in business because it took 87 Duracell D batteries to power this thing, right? So after you got all the batteries in there, it was 117 pounds. But it, it would play cassettes. You could actually copy a cassette. You could make a mixed tape, which is how one would communicate their affection for a someone else. It also had an FM radio and compact disc, also known as a CD. Now, the thing with the boombox was, it's different than a home stereo system, which is like meant to be in the... A boombox was meant to be booming wherever you went. You could take this bad boy and sling it up on your shoulder, and you would walk around, and, and everyone would know what you were listening to right? Whether they liked it or not, which they never did, right? So you, you, for me, again, as the coolest 12-year-old in town, uh, I felt incomplete without my boombox. Then I got my boombox. It was a great gift. Now, there are other gifts that I don't have pictures of because they did not have the same impact on me. Have you guys ever had a not great gift or a misfired gift, Right? Uh, a gift that you get and you're like, this was for me like 15 years ago. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and now that I'm, uh, you know, in the, I'm, I'm still a young person, of course, but now that I'm the age that I'm at, uh, giving gifts to like nieces and nephews, it's like, do they still like, you know, this thing? Like, uh, you know, like, you know I, I think I got my 21-year-old uh, nephew a Teletubbies something last year and it just didn't hit, you know? Watching them unwrap it, it was miserable. So I, I felt a little misfire there, right? This has happened to you guys? But here's the deal with God and God's gifts is they're never a misfire. They're always good. And they're always life-changing. And so when we think about God's good gift, we, we find that it changes our lives. Now, some of us may be wondering, why is Caleb talking so much about gifts right? Does that even come up at all in the Bible? And I want to tell you that there is uh, this running theme throughout Christian scripture of God's uh, gift, but it generally is not translated as gift. It's generally translated as grace. The grace of God, that language of God's grace is is dripping with gift language. It is framed by, it's wrapped up in, it's saturated by this idea of gift giving. Now, uh, I know that uh, Greek trivia is not our strong suit as a church, right? 
Every time I play trivia games with you people and the Greek trivia comes up, we lose. So uh, I know that's not our strong suit. And I generally don't you know, like to do too much of a deep dive into the, the Greek language. Uh, but this one time, if you will permit me, I would like to uh, Greek out, if that's OK. Now, for those of you that are fluffing your pillow, those of you who are watching online, who are like, now's the time to check Facebook, I just want to ask that you would hold on. I think this is going to be valuable. I think this will be a blessing to you. And I think it'll be more than trivial. So here we go. The, I, the, the, the word that most commonly gets translated as grace, which I don't know if you've ever seen that word ever. Uh, it's something we care about deeply here at Desert Springs. But this idea of God's grace, it, it comes from a word of uh, the word charis. Now, you may not hear the word charis frequently, but you have heard this word all over the place. Have you ever heard the word, uh, that, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, that person has a lot of charisma? Charis, right? Charisma. Have you ever heard, uh, like, that is a really charismatic speaker? Charisma, right? Uh, even if you grew up in a, in a more liturgic, I know not all of us are Christians and, and not all of us grew up going to church, which is totally fine. I'm so glad you're here. But if you grew up in a liturgical tradition, it's like, uh, it, it is common for what is often referred to as the Lord's table or communion. It is common, especially in liturgical circles, for that to be called what? Does anybody know? The Eucharist, Right? Charis. It's this idea of gift or favor or grace or gracious or thankful. In fact, that word charis, which often gets translated as grace, it has in its, uh, in its spectrum of meaning three parts of the gift-giving process. Namely, the posture of the gift-giver, so someone who is gracious, the giving of the gift, namely uh, uh, the gift or favor, and then the response of the recipient, namely, thankful. Charis can mean all three of those things. It has within its range of meaning all three parts of the gift-giving process. The posture or uh, uh, temperament of the gift-giver, the giving of the gift, and then the response of the recipient in light of the gift. The, uh, um, what's this holiday that's coming up on uh, Thursday? Thanks What? Get right. So even when we say thank you, we're giving something back. Do you see that it's a three-part process of the gift giving? It's not just, it's not just like drive-by gift giving. Gift giving is relational. It has, it, it has all these different parts and this dance to it. In fact, there are many of us who, when we receive a gift, we feel compelled, don't we, to write a little note that says, thank you so much for the gift. In fact, for some of us, again, depending on the culture we grew up in, the process feels incomplete until thanks are given. Hmm? Now, charis has in its spectrum of meaning all of that in the word that we generally translate as grace. And so what makes God's gift or his grace gift, and, and during this series, I'm going to use that language of graced gift just to remind us that grace is not this uh, ambiguous term, it's a it's something given, do you see? So grace gift. What makes God's grace gift so amazing? Now, here we've been talking about uh, gifts and, you know, lists of gifts. And I know that for many of us, we have something like this on our list. Now, uh, one of the things about diamonds, and I don't know much about diamonds, 
uh, is if you take a diamond and it hits the light, it projects the light out. There's color in the diamond, right? But then what happens if you turn the diamond and look at one of its other facets? You guys ever done this before? What happens? It, it makes prism, but other things begin to happen, right? You look at it in one light, and you see its beauty from that angle, but you ever so slightly change the angle, and what do you see? More but different beauty, right? That if you take a diamond and you move it around, it is so nuanced, it's so robust in its beauty that you could actually stare at it for hours and never capture the full weight or the full vivid nature of its beauty. The idea of God's grace gift is like a diamond that we can look at all of its different facets and still not exhaust or uh, come to a complete understanding of its beauty and its power in our lives. But we're going to give it a shot for the next four weeks. How about that? So there's uh, four ways that we're going to look at just over, this, uh, over our time together for this year, uh, four ways uh, that explains to us that God's gift, uh, how it is amazing. So God's gift is amazing because, number one, it is given without regard to the worth of the recipient. Now, I want to lean in here for a minute. Notice I did not say, or we are not saying, that God thinks that those who gets his gift are worthless. Do you see the difference? When God gives a gift, it is not, it, he does not give regard for the worth of the recipient, but that does not mean that the recipient of God's good gifts is therefore worth less. In fact, one of the things that I uh, want to just guard us around, you guys ever heard the term uh, or the song um, Amazing Grace? You guys ever heard that before? It, it's, it's popular. I'll just tell you that much. Uh, and the song, and some of you might be familiar with it, uh, it's a beautiful song. I think it's super powerful. But one of the things that I, I just want to push into, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a, okay, so saved a wretch like me is the author's uh, uh, lyric. And I just want to push into that. I think what the author is doing in amazing grace is trying to contrast his or her worth compared to the goodness and grace of God's gift not a theological treatise on the, the worth of humanity. Because if you read your Bible, you will see, number one, that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. Number two, you were made with inherent dignity, worth, and value. You are not worth less. What the scripture teaches is not that we are worth less, that we're scum, that we're worms. Scripture teaches that we are image bearers of God made with inherent dignity, worth, and value, who because of our rebellion now live as broken vessels who need to be made whole. Y'all with me so far? So when God gives to us his good gift of grace, it is not saying you're completely worthless, you're scum, you're dirt. It is saying that the gift is given without regard to the worth of the recipient. Hmm? And so we see that one of the reasons why God's grace is so amazing is because it's given without regard to the worth of those who receive it. Number two, it is not given out of obligation. You guys ever had this? Uh, a coworker or a neighbor gives you like a $20 gift card, and now you're on the hook, right? The next occasion that comes around, what are you thinking? Oh, I better get them a gift card too. Whew. How should do I do? What if I, I mean, $15? No, 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 that was $20. Oh my goodness, right? You're on the hook, it's, oblig it's obligatory. But God gives his gift not out of obligation. Third, and this is a theological term. Just kidding. God gives super abundantly lavish <laughs> gifts. 
This, one of the things that, God, uh, that makes God's gift, his grace gift, so amazing is that, it is that it is super abundantly lavish. And finally, it is effective in changing things for the better. How many of you have ever been gifted a car? I watch these commercials and I think that they're lying to me. <laughs> right? Oh, you got me a Lexus? I got you a Lexus too. Where'd you get the bow? Okay, imagine that you got gifted a car. Now imagine that it didn't start. Is that a good gift? No, if the gift is ineffective in changing things for the better, it's not actually a good gift. So God's gift is amazing because it's given without regard to the worth of the recipient. It's not given out of obligation. It's super abundantly lavish, and it's effective in changing things for the better. We're going to look at the first one. We're going to zoom in on this today. It's given without regard to the worth of the recipient. This will absolutely change your life if you receive this gift into your brain, into your heart, and into your very being. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read through it. Uh, we'll be through verses uh, 1 through, uh, I think, 9 this week, and we'll pick up the rest a little bit here. I think we're also going to do a little bit um, in Ephesians 2 uh, later on as well. So Ephesians chapter 2, I'll have it up here on the screen so you all can follow along. So check this out. So uh, this person's name is Paul. He's a pastor. He's a Jesus follower. And he's writing to a group of uh, Jesus followers in a place called Ephesus. That's why the letter is called Ephesians. And he's, he's helping them understand how receiving this grace gift changes their life and impacts their life. He's also trying to help them understand how this plays out in their relationship to others, especially people who are not like them, and especially people who don't believe the same way they do. Check this out. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3. And you were, what's the word? Dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Okay, so what the author is saying is this. For everyone who is, which is everybody, who's turned their back on God and gone their own way, for everyone who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as the scripture says, their spiritual status is not alive, but what? Dead. And let me just ask you this. What do dead people produce? What good, I, I don't, what good works do the dead do? Nothing. Why? Because they're dead, right? The status of a person who has rebelled against God and gone their own way is that they are spiritually dead. So what good stuff can they produce to earn God's good gift? Great question. We'll answer it here in a minute. He goes on. We too all previously lived among them. Now I want to time out because there is, and I know that there's some of us here today who are still trying to figure out who Jesus is and what this Christianity thing is all about. And let me just tell you, uh, please, please, please do not look to the uh, media, the media's representation of how Christians are behaving. And please don't go on Facebook Look at Jesus and look up close and personal in local church context of how Jesus is impacting people. That's where you're actually going to see what's real. Amen. Uh, now, what that means for all of us Jesus followers, we're on the hook, right? We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And so just please know that there is a whole city looking at you saying, I wonder what their God is like. Now, the text actually will lean into this concept. I want you to see that what the, uh, the author here, Paul, is doing 
is he's leveling the playing field. Notice he's not saying, we church folk are righteous and awesome and you sinners are so bad and dead. What does he say? We too, who? All previously lived, right? This is everyone's status apart from God. Everyone's status is rebellion and spiritual death. Everyone's status apart from some sort of grace gift is death. You with me so far? So he's cueing us up for what's next. Among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, and we were by nature children under what? We were by nature children under wrath. I want you to think about old Santa Claus. You ever heard of this guy? Evidently, he sees you when you're sleeping, and he knows when you're awake, and he knows when you've been bad or good. So be good where he's going to hunt you down in the middle of the night. It was a hor- like, I, I, listen, I can't believe that we sing this as a good news. <laughs> like, like, play this out for me, right? Okay, now, old Santa Claus, he's got a list. And on the list, there's two columns. What are the two columns? Column number one are the good little boys and girls, and what's column number two? Children under wrath. It is those who, because of their behavior, have turned from what is good and gone their own way and are now deserving of coal in their stocking, children under wrath. Now, praise be to God that he does not operate like old Santa Claus. Because what puts little boy or little girl on the naughty or nice list. Their behavior, their good works, all their, uh, the, the good things that they do, right? It's, and if you'll pardon the phrase, it's a works-based righteousness. But Jesus does not operate that way. What the author is saying here is, apart from Jesus, apart from the grace gift of God, we were all previously dead and we were under God's wrath. We are children under God's wrath. Okay, so if you're, just imagine, if you're a child under God's wrath, you're spiritually dead, what good can you produce to make the king and creator of the universe love you? Nothing. Okay. By the way, uh, we've got good news coming. But God. Now, some of my uh, pastor buddies, they would say it like this. But God! They're really good preachers. I am not. So I'm just going to say, but God, comma, who is rich in what? Mercy. Because of his great, that he had for us, made us, now, TV time out. What was our status in our rebellion against God? What was our status, alive or dead? Dead. And because not of my doing, but because of who Jesus is, he has made us, what's the word? Alive. Alive. With Christ, even though we were, what's the word? D-E-D, dead in our trespasses. You are saved by a gift, not by your own doing. Do you see the argument that the author is making? You didn't get on the good boy list or the good girl list because of your own doing. It was a gift given to you that you are now alive. He goes on. 
He also raised us up with him. Do you see real quick? This is so cool. So here's this author. He's witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And now he's saying that the thing that's happening to us is we're also being resurrected. Do you see it? He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might, here's the word, display the immeasurable, the super abundantly lavish riches of his gift or his grace gift through his, what's the word? Kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, friends. The posture of the God of the universe towards those who are in rebellion against him is one of immeasurable riches and kindness and grace and love. And he calls out to everyone, turn from your sin, turn from yourself, and turn to me. And you know who he says yes to? Everyone who turns. Jesus says yes to everyone who wants him. So there are many of us right now who here in this individualistic, um, transactional relationship-based society think that God owes us if we do enough good, but God hates me if I feel like I've done so many bad things. And here's what I want to tell you, that Jesus is nearer to you than you are to your own self. Amen. He knows you more intimately than you will ever even know your own being. And he calls out to you right now in this moment, child, come home. Amen. Not because of what you've done, the grace of God is an amazing gift because it is given without regard for your worth. And so would you say yes to him and receive the gift? Immeasurable riches through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Okay, oh, this is so good, right? This is, this is like the crescendo, right? This is when the guitar solo is like, or bending it with the whammy bar. For you are saved by what? Santa Claus theology? No, by the grace gift, charis, by the grace gift of God through faith. And this is not from yourselves, not with regard to your own worth. It is what? God's what? Gift, not from your works. Doesn't mean that we aren't to do good works, but those good works are not the reason why God gives to us this good gift. One of the things that uh, plays, uh, one of the uh, implications of this is that you can't boast. <laughs> oh, man. This means that you and I, we can't look at each other and be like, God loves me more than you. Listen, I, 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 listen, if you've said this before, I don't mean to, I don't mean to slam it. I just I want to caution you. Some of you all have heard this phrase before. I've heard it a lot in my uh, vocation. Um, people will say, they'll, they'll usually be sad, and they'll say, I'm really trying to be a good Christian. And that's not how it works. That's like me saying, I'm trying to be a son to my dad. I just am. Now, I want you to hear this. Uh, Philip Yancey says this. He wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. He says, God loves people because of who God is, not because of who people are. God loves people because of who God is, not because of who you are. It's his abundant, lavish grace. It's his grace gift that he gives to you, not in regard to your worth. Now, for those of us here in, uh, 
in Phoenix, if you were to go to your neighbors uh, and you were to say, and I don't recommend doing this, by the way, and you were to say, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Many within our community would say, I'm going to heaven. Now, if you pushed, which again, I'm not recommending this, but you push and you say, why do you think you're going to heaven? The response is generally, because I'm a, I'm a good person. Now, how do you know? How do you know you're a good person? Do you have a morality meter? Now, it just so happens I have a morality meter. It's right here. <laughs> Fancy that. Now, on any given morality meter, you might wonder, well, at the top is good, at the bottom is bad, so who would be like a really good example? Of course, Jesus, but that feels like cheating. So who would be like, who would be like the goodiest good person that you would put like at the top of the list? Mother Teresa, of course. We've got to have Mother Teresa in there, right? I mean, everybody, well, at least as far as I know, everybody likes Mother Teresa, right? She's really good, right? So she's, she's not like all the way, but she's close. Hmm? Okay. So uh, I'm certainly no Mother Teresa, so I don't think I can add up to that, but I'm certainly not down here in the bad category. Now, now think about the most vile, evil people, literally evil incarnate. Like, who would be the people who would be the baddest bad? Like, we, we got Joseph Stalin, Hitler, Genghis Khan, Garth Brooks. I mean, these are all, these are all just people that there's no good in them whatsoever. And we're, we're <laughs> Garth, if you're watching, I apologize. Uh, uh, so here's the deal. Notice that my morality meter is showing us what we tend to do when it comes to I'm a good person conversation. Who am I comparing myself to? People. I'm comparing myself to people. And I'm saying, well, I'm not as good as Mother Teresa, and I'm certainly not as bad as Garth Brooks, but I mean, frankly, who gives me the right to make that assessment? I, I, listen, I, I get it, right? Like, I get the phrase, I'm a good person. I just don't know that you or I are competent enough to be able to make a declaration like that. I, as I uh, have some introspection, I start realizing that even the things that I think are good they're oftentimes done with bad motives or broken motives. And so a lot of what I put on the scales is like, well, I, you know, I've preached the word and I'm pastor for goodness sakes and you know, I gave to charity and blah, blah, blah. When I start looking at my own motives, when I start thinking about where my, my heart was at in that space, the scales start getting in. And here's the other thing too. When I start comparing myself to people like Mother Teresa, I'm devastated. Comparing yourself to others as it relates to your goodness in the eyes of God is a prison. The idea that I'm a good person so I get to go to heaven when I die is a prison. Because who gets to make the call? You see, most of us, when we're, when we're doing this kind of language, we, we put ourselves slightly above average. Right? Well, I'm certainly not as good as Mother Teresa, but I'm certainly not as bad as the worst of the worst, and I'm definitely not as bad as my neighbor Jim down the street with the Packers flag out front. <laughs> but this, is, this, this begets nothing more than shame and guilt when we feel like we don't add up. It's a prison. That's one of the reasons why Jesus' followers say things like, have you heard the good news? There is good news. 
So God's grace gift is given without regard for our worth. Is that good news? Okay, so what? So what? How does this actually shape our life? How does this transform our life? I'm going to give you two things to think about, and then we're going to go try to live this out. Notice in Ephesians 2.19, it says, we ask the question, so what? The author says, so then. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Now, I want you to, have you guys ever heard of Jesus? Okay, so Jesus was uh, uh, really smart. Uh, obviously. And one of the things that Jesus did was he taught uh, us how to live. And there was this time where some of Jesus' followers, they were called disciples, they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus is like, yeah, pray like this. Our, okay. Notice the way that Jesus teaches us as to how to relate to God. As a child, to a father. Did you hear in the text that before this grace gift, you and I were children under wrath? Now, notice, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and what? Members of what? God's household. Who's, like, who's dad? Right? God. And I know not all of us had dads who were godlike. I totally get that. But Jesus is speaking to us here, saying, God is our Father. And because of his grace gift, you and I are all sons and daughters of God. We are all members of God's household. Do you, let me just zoom in on this just for a minute. Do you think that that has any implication as to how we might treat one another? knowing that it's not because of my merit and my good works and my upstanding nature that God has given me this grace gift because he's given it to me with no regard for my worth. And he freely distributes this gift to everyone who turns and calls on the name of the Lord, which means um, there's this old school phrase, I love it, all ground is equal at the foot of the cross. This is why Christians are called to live in humility and civility and show patience and kindness and understanding and self-control to one another and to everyone else that we come into contact with because it is not by my merit and my goodness and my awesomeness that God has given me this grace gift. It is purely because of who he is, not because of who I am, and therefore I have nothing over anybody else. This is why he says, so that no one can boast So how does this impact our lives? I want to just zoom in real briefly on ourself and then how we, how we treat ourselves and view ourselves and how we treat and view others. Uh, Philip Yancey, who I mentioned a moment ago, uh, he says this. Sociologists have a theory of the looking glass self. The looking glass self. You become what the most important person in your life whether a wife, father, boss, etc., You become what the most important person in your life thinks you are. How would my life change if I truly believed the Bible's astounding words about God's love for me? And when I looked in the mirror, I saw God's definition of me. 
How might your life be different if when you looked in the mirror, you saw yourself as defined by the one who is most important to you? He is nearer to you than you are to yourself, and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. And so we see that this grace gift radically shapes how we view ourselves, but it also radically shapes how we view and treat others. Anne Voskamp, who wrote a book, 1,000 Gifts, which I recommend this book, she has in her childhood and later in life experienced a great degree of trauma, and she's processing through, how do I live a thankful life? How do I give thanks in light of this pain? And she explores that here in the text. One of the things she says is this, I receive grace, right? You remember the grace gift that God gives? I receive the grace gift. And through me, grace could flow on. Like a cycle of water in continuous movement, grace is meant to fall, a rain, again and again and again. To put it another way, the grace gift never stops being given, but also It flows into me, and it can flow out of me. She goes on. I could share the grace, multiply the joy, extend the table of the feast, enlarge the paradise of his presence. I am blessed, I can bless. A life contemplating the blessings of Christ becomes a life acting the love of Christ as we meditate on and we worship and we pray and we recognize this great grace gift that God has given to us, it also empowers us and transforms us so that we might be agents of grace as well. To put it another way, based on whose merit does God give his grace gift? Does he do so because you've earned it? Okay, now, and praise God, right? Now, here's the part where we don't want to say praise God. How should my posture therefore be towards others in my life who have not earned my favor? How is God calling you to live this grace gift out in your life? How is God calling you to live out this grace gift in your life? Perhaps it's he's calling you to give thanks and worship, especially this week. Have you given thanks for the grace gift that God has given to you? Maybe it's even just as simple as right now or on your way home today, praying and thanking Jesus for his grace gift. For others of us, it may even be when we look in the mirror, do we recognize that it's Jesus who defines us? Or perhaps it's someone in our life who the relationship has gone sour or it's become busted and broken. And though we may feel like they are not deserving of our forgiveness because we have received a free grace gift, perhaps God is calling us to extend a grace gift, not based on their merit, but simply because it can flow out from us. I don't know what Jesus has in store for you. I don't know what his spirit's leading you to do, but I know this. He loves you more than you can ever imagine. And he promises to never leave us or forsake us. And even though he calls us into hard spaces, he is always faithful and true to empower us to live as he taught us and as he calls us to. So let me pray for us as we 
conclude today. Jesus, we give you thanks for your amazing grace, this profound and powerful gift that transforms our lives. And as a church family, we want to be a people who who recognize that all ground is equal at the foot of the cross, that there's nothing that binds us together aside from your grace gift. Lord, it's difficult to know how to live that out. It's difficult oftentimes to feel empowered to do so. And right now, I pray, Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us that out of a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving, recognition of your grace gift, that we would be a people who extend the gift of grace to others, who model it not only in our own selves, but in our church family and in our community, that we might be agents of grace. Constantly pointing back to you and proclaiming the good news that everyone who turns to you is received graciously by you. Jesus, we ask these things knowing that you love us and you are powerful to bring them about. And so we entrust ourselves to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, thank you so much. I wish you all a very wonderful Thanksgiving, and I can't wait to continue this series with you next week. I hope to see you then. Thank you all.